The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. Today FM. It is time to review all the week's trending stories and I'm delighted to be joined by Lise Hand, journalist, and also Kieran Cunningham, chief sports writer with the Irish Daily Star. Folks, a very good afternoon to you. Kieran, I might start with you because we had a story out today. It's about Little, the supermarket chain, and it is now saying that its employees who reach the age of 65 will no longer have to retire. It's in line with the government's plan changes to the pensions age where you can work until you're 70 years of age. Is this a sign, Kieran, that lots of employers out there will be thinking we can flog our workers for much longer in life? Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. We we, we get a lot more stuff like this. Like this, To be honest, this is a particular interest for me because uh, I've had a work pension for 22 years and, and you get an annual statement and often they just have a cursory look. But just as it getting a little bit older, I thought I would have a good look at it this week. And I, when I saw the total I'd be getting every year, I got a bit of a fright. <laughs> so I think I'd probably be working till 85, let alone <laughs> 65. But but it's, it's a very complicated issue because people are clearly uh, working for or living far longer and in better health generally for longer than they were. So. You know, what, how do you balance that out? But, you know, you can, the thing is, it's very difficult to catch all retirement age because if you're if you're a manual worker, it takes a serious toll. Like a lot of my friends will be manual workers and the amount of them that have uh, serious arthritis, particularly in their hands. You know, when you're working manually with your hands all your life, it takes its toll. And to expect somebody to go on well into their 60s or even their 70s which could come down the track at some stage you know it's it's very difficult but i think i think it's it, it is something it's going to become a hot topic over the next 10 years. I think you'll hear a lot about pensions. Lisa, looking at, Little are saying today that there's a lot of employees and they're quoting employees in, in, in this announcement saying they're quite happy to work much longer. They don't want to retire. They're doing plenty of work that they enjoy. So therefore, why should they? Yes, I mean, I think as Kieran says, you know, it's, it is complicated, but there are a lot of people um, that would now regard 65 as early middle age and would have no intention of, of, uh, of stopping work. A lot of people at 65 can't afford to. And I I think, but there's another way of looking at it, I think, as well. And we've seen since the pandemic a huge tectonic shift in the sort of the landscape of the relationship between employer and employees. And it's now very much an employee's market to a huge extent. There are there are more job vacancies than there are jobless in, in many uh, regions. And we've sort of seen the rise of, of trade union movement. Uh, you've seen things like workers in Amazon's warehouses unionising for the first time. You've seen the, tra- the the rail strikes, you know, absolutely mm-hmm. paralyse the UK. And, you know, workers are demanding better um, better uh, terms of, you know, of, of employment and so on. And I think that something like Little saying, you know, we'll continue to pay, ben, you know, benefit, pension benefits. You know, that's a, I think that's a huge thing because people are now looking to the future a bit like here and a bit like myself and saying, well, you know, I, I need to start, work, you know, get, getting some kind of pension together. So I think it's interesting. Um, and I think the government, you know, they they dropped the, as, as Karen rightly said, I mean, it is a hot potato issue and they, Fianna Fáil kicked up enormously about the uh, pension age been, risen, been lifted to uh, 67. So, you know, I think this will become a, a subject of great interest. 
Kieran, when I think back to all of that hullabaloo in the election 2020 about about moving your retirement age to 67, when you consider mm. the skills you lose from people in employment, not their knowledge yeah. of how things work, that experience of how to deal with problems, how to help younger staff, you're throwing people out the door at 64, 65, 66, and then to 67. Actually, it would be a good idea to say to people, well, look, work until you feel you're able to do so. Yeah, yeah. Because even in our, our own field, like I've, I've, you know, some of the people who've, who've lost jobs in journalism recently and the ability and experience they have and you go, uh, you know, I don't understand how anybody would let that ability and experience go, uh, you know, and go for somebody, you know, re-advertising the job and taking somebody very inexperienced and with not the kind of knowledge you've built up because knowledge does matter. And I think as I also think there, there will be a situation where people in the private sector will be played against people in the public sector, which is something I hate. But it is striking because um, uh, it struck me around the All-Ireland final that Jack O'Connor of Kerry, um, you know, was the All-Ireland winning football manager. And he's 61 and he's a retired teacher. Um, and no, and all the, no, there was a lot of fuss made about over Pat Spillane retiring from RT or stepping down the Sunday game. And he's actually been retired from teaching for 10 years. He retired at 56, I think. And there's no, whereas in the private sector, there's no chance that would happen. And under the Crow Park, you know, they were able to avail of, of some of the provisions of the Crow Park Agreement. And it's, it's, it's you know, that's, that proviso wasn't there for people who've joined the public service more recently. But I, th- I think for political reasons, people might start to play people off each other. And I the think that's thing, quite just, ugly. Just, in, just on the public idea. sector, I know there are lots of people that work in and would work in teaching, would also work in the field of medicine where they don't want to retire, and also in the field of ju- ju- judiciary who don't want to retire as well when they're forced to. So I think there could be benefits for all workers out of this. Let's move on a little bit. Lise, Alex Jones, whom I covered on the, sto- the show yesterday, and this incredibly... It's a horrific story about how this conspiracy theorist peddled the line that the Sandy Hook school shooting in 2012 didn't happen and the distress it caused to the parents of 20 young children and also the six teachers who died in that. But they were hounded by people who believed this absolute bizarre and disgraceful carry on. He has now lost in the courts and is facing a four million dollar defamation payment. Yes, I mean, I think this is probably the first wave in a totally deserved river of grief and pain that is going to basically engulf Alex Jones over the next while because this really is, um, there was some comment after the the 4.1 million um, judgment was handed down, but this is really, this is the first instalment. There's quite a queue of people lining up behind this particular couple to take cases. And of course, there's also the punitive damages that have yet to be considered as well. And of course, you know, it, it, I mean, I've been watching various, you know, dramas unfold in court here, in courtrooms for years. I've never quite seen anything like the gotcha moment, which we saw this week when it turned out that, uh, um, you know, the Jones's team had uh, handed over the contents of his mobile phone. But in those contents was a lot of, of information about his financials, which had been not forthcoming from him. And he had stonewalled on several occasions about handing this over. And uh, they seemed to suggest that he was, you know, making anything up to $50 million a year through a lot of that through merchandising. And he has a, r- a raft of companies. So by peddling lies, by, but crazy I mean, by peddling, theories I mean, and th- th- the this damage guy, done to people. This guy is 
toxic. And, you know, they, you know, he goes back to, you know, raising false flags saying that um, 9-11 had been you know, the, the work of the Bush administration. I mean, every, uh, nearly every atrocity that happened, he's been out there blustering and he has caused so much pain. And, um, you know, he's, I mean, ironically, you know, his company is called Free Speech Systems or something like that. And I thought it was a lovely line where um, the the prosecuting attorney said, you know, to, said to the jury, speech is free, but lies you have to pay for. And I thought that was a brilliant line because this is literally the chickens coming home to roost. He knows that he's been t- peddling lies for years and it's now caught up with them. Yeah, and um, when we had Aoife Gallagher on the show yesterday discussing about this, Kieran, the, the danger is, OK, mm. Alex Jones knows what he's doing here. He knows, as Lee said, yeah. exactly what's going on. It's the people that believe him out there and how they're so willing now, particularly using social media, to just follow these people. <clears throat> yeah, no, no, that, that's what's a concern. Like, it, it, somebody like Alex Jones, like, they're, they're, they're the ultimate cynics. Like, this is a complete grift. Uh, and if you look at... Um, it's almost as if there's a check, there's a checklist. Like a lot of people, Alex Jones isn't the only one, but they go after you know, trans people, gay rights, climate change, uh, school shootings, nine eleven. Like the focus on certain things, and they all spin the same, the same nonsense. But there is an audience for it. Like at his peak, he was getting 125 million views a month on YouTube, and then there's a various other platforms he was on as well, which is frightening that so many people latch onto this stuff. You know, and there's always like they push this stuff all the time. You know, you know, alarm bells will always ring when you hear somebody say MSM or go on a bit of a mainstream media. And they, they, they have found an audience who think everything in the mainstream media is a lie. But, the but they're willing to believe anything that's said by the likes of Alex, uh, uh, Alex Jones was incredible. Yeah, and Kieran is right. And the trouble is, like a hydra, you know, you you cut off one head and there's seven others to take his place. I mean, you know, even at the moment, the amount of disinformation that a lot of the far right, alt right and just sort of hard right um, commentators are peddling on the upcoming midterm elections is absolutely and utterly staggering. They're casting doubt on the ballots, they're casting doubt on the voting systems, they're casting doubt on the, the, uh, you you know, the, the saying everybody is corrupt that's involved with it. We just saw um, in Arizona, a candidate who is an absolute and utter election denier, a woman called Carrie Lake, win the gubernatorial contest there. I mean, she literally won- she ran on a platform that the 2020 election was a fraud and, she, you know, she won the primary. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. Karen, I want to turn to you on this story because we had confirmation or we seem to have confirmation that the Live Golf series is coming to Doom Bay because, of course, Donald Trump has gotten into bed with the Live Golf series, which are backed by the Saudi government, being fronted by Greg Norman. He hosted one of their events at one of his courses last week. But it appears that in 2024, we could see the arrival of this series. Yeah, yeah. And maybe there's... Maybe there's actually a degree of uh, inevitability about this that this would happen because, you know, Liv isn't a stalking horse, you know, a horse or, you know, they didn't just, you know, ha- have a cut of this and see what would happen. They're deadly serious about making this work. And, you know, this week we've heard Phil Mickelson and Ian Poulter are among 11 players on the Liv Golf Tour who have filed a lawsuit against the PGA Tour uh, in order to challenge their suspensions. And, you know, and there's a hu- so much money behind Liv that um, it's not going to go away and they're just going to throw more money at the bigger players till, the, till, till they emerge as, 
I think they want to stamp out, you know, you know, stamp all over the PGA Tour. I think, you know, this is a takeover bit, essentially. You know, there's always been a huge amount of uh, degree of hypocrisy about around the debate around this because the PGA has had events in Saudi Arabia as recently as oh, a yeah. few months ago. And, of course, yeah. they still go there on the European tour to the Middle East. Yeah, also. And also... Um, you know, I don't agree with sporting links to Saudi Arabia, but you do look at the, the you know the Irish government deals with Saudi Arabia, Joe Biden deals with them, the British government deals with them, so many uh, businesses here and abroad deal with them. So sport and particularly golf at the moment, you know, feels like why is everybody pointing the fingers at us? Look at your own behaviour, and there's not an easy answer to that. Mm-hmm. Now, why do we let other things go? Lise, I, I had the misfortune of watching a bit of the Live Golf se- series last week when I was bored looking for a bit of sport on and it was a bunch of has-beens and never was. But should we, you know, Donald Trump owns Doombeg, should we be rolling out the red carpet like we normally do in this country when anything comes to town for this, given what Saudi Arabia's did to the journalist Jamal Khashoggi and the other human rights abuses? Well, um, I was actually down in Doombeg covering his visit in, when he, in 2019 and you couldn't get anywhere near the, I mean, there was not only one ring of steel, there was about 12 of them thrown around Dune Bag and there was all kinds of scary looking warships in the, in, in the bay and everything. And, uh, I suspect, and of course, you see, the thing is, they are talking about him coming in 2024. And uh, as of now, we don't know if he's running again, because if he is running, that's election year. So that would put a huge, diff- you know, perple- different perspective on it. Is he coming as still former president or is he coming as, uh, as, the owner as, of the know, golf club, yeah, or or is he coming as presidential candidate? So I mean, that would actually make a huge <laughs> difference to the to the the media circus around it. But um, and again, you know, it it just depends. I mean, <laughs> the the news cycle and things change so fast. Um, it's just hard to know whether he will be literally just another washed up has been that people will kind of go, oh, yeah, fit in with man. the golfers at or, this stage. Yeah, exactly, fit in with the golfers, or will he still be like you know a a relevant figure on on the world stage? And I think that people will take their cue from that. But look, Dunbeg, they're very grateful down there, the locals. You know, they, you know, he's brought a lot of business into the area. I mean, the, the, one of the reasons they're holding it in 2024 in Dunbeg is that apparently the place is booked up all the way through 2023, which would indicate that he has been very good for business down there. Now let's move on to another story here. Actually, this is something you've uh, you've an interest in. <laughs> Sorry, I should have phrased this. Ter- this will be terrible when I, go- when I say this. It's Jane Fonda getting her facelift. I'm terribly sorry, Lisa. <laughs> but oh, I thought met- you were starting with uh, Kieran there. <laughs> <laughs> you met Jane I've Fonda. I've only had Botox. <laughs> <in Germany, so. laughs> that sound you hear is me slamming the door and walking out. Uh, no, this is, an, um, this is a, the awarding actress, fitness yeah. guru Jane Fonda, who's given an interview during the <clears> week <throat> and saying that she has regretted the couple of times she's had a facelift in, in her career. Yeah, which is interesting. Uh, I mean, I did, yes, I was, I, I walked into um, a place in New York one night and just sat down at a table with a load of people and it was, I was only talking to her for about five minutes before it actually dawned on me who I was talking to, speaking to. And I had been sitting there looking at her thinking, I know her face from somewhere. God, she's a really striking looking woman. And she looked great. Now, you know, then I thought, oh, she's had a facelift and I couldn't see it. You know, sometimes you can, obviously, it's really obvious. But her work had been great. And um, I'm, yeah, I mean, jo- like Jane has always, Jane Fond has always done her own thing. I mean, it's hard to explain to, you know, people, younger people, just how, like, what an iconic figure she was, not just as an actress, yeah. but also as a fitness guru. And, very, you know, I mean, she, her 
her first fitness video, I think she released it in something like 1982, and it sold 17 million copies. It was literally caused a spike in video VCR sales because so many women were buying this, the, the DVD, the CD, or what? No, hang on, it would have been a VHS to you know to play it. And you know, so when someone like that comes out and says and says it, it's not just another kind of B-lister moaning about her face. You know, it's somebody saying, "I've done this, and now I'm really not really sure. I, you know, I, I you know, I, I possibly regret it." But I think looking at the photographs of her, I think she did cross the line. You see, that was the trouble. When I saw her, she looked great. Now she has that sort of weird kind of look. You know, it's a bit sort of bloated and a bit, you know, a bit odd. She had the surgery done later in life. But if you if you go onto Instagram now, you have people out there who are doing it in their early 20s to fit a look that people deem, oh, well, this is the look we must have. Yeah, I mean, that's... Um I, I personally don't understand it myself. Um, I <clears throat> look, you know, fabulous for my age and I've never had anything done. But um, I just don't understand why the, you know, this drive to have this face that looks like everybody else's sort of, it's almost like they look at the Instagram filters and they want to look like the filter without the filter, if you follow, if you sort of follow me. And mm-hmm. um, it's a vicious circle. I mean, once you get into that business, you're just going to have to keep going back for what they call tweakments, you know, have a little lift here and a tuck here and have, you know, and some of them are, I mean, the a lot of the procedures, they aren't pleasant. They aren't painless. You know, a lot of these are, they're surgery and um, surgery can go wrong. So, I think that, you know, if Jane wants one, Jane Fonda wants one last great campaign, I think this could be the one just to try and say, look, just don't rush into this stuff. Take your time. Grow into your face. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kieran, I want to move on now to another story, something again that had developing news overnight. And this is the US basketball star, Brittany Griner, who was sentenced to nine years in a Russian jail for possession of drugs. But when you dig down into it, the drugs were cannabis oil. Mm. Yeah, uh, you know, just uh, if people don't know Brittany Griner, like she would be, you know, a superstar in women's basketball in, in the States. You know, it's uh, one of the greatest players ever in WNBA history. So, you know, this is um, it, it's it's an incredible story because of the, the, the sentence is so harsh. Like there's a very strong argument for cannabis oil being legalized. And, you know, it's been used for medicinal purposes uh, by a lot of people. And that's what uh, Brittany Griner said she was using it for. And to sentence her to nine years, and there's talks it could could be sent to, you know, a particularly harsh prison uh, in in Russia. And it does seem like Russia, this is a politically, it does seem as if it could be a politically motivated case that, you know, they're trying to, you know, it's just a, it's a, a, another a, another chapter in the Cold War, and you know that you know the, there has been talk of a prisoner swap that the U.S. Uh, would free convicted arms dealer Victor Bout, but the fact that you're comparing an arms dealer to somebody who took cannabis oil in in a vape is, is just off the wall. And uh, I think it's right that people are outraged like this. And I think it's an outrageous decision by Russia. Yeah, nine years in a Russian jail and a 16,000 euro fine for, as you said, included for, well, as she said, had she known that cannabis oil was illegal in the US, she wouldn't have put it into her suitcase in the first place. But the real politic of this lease will be a deal will be done because the Russians know that they don't want her in jail for nine years. They want the spectacle of a hand of a handover of a prisoner. Oh no, there's no doubt about it. It's a you know she's she is a pawn in in a game of political chess. And um, as Kieran rightly points out, it's a completely unequal swap. I mean, you're you're literally trading an arms dealer um, for 
uh, somebody who literally was you know a, a top storied athlete who was found with some with some uh, vaping cartridges in her in her luggage. But the deal will be done. There's no doubt about it because that's how real politics works. Lisa and Kieran Cunningham, thank you very much for going through all of those stories. The last word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4:30. Today F-